Hey everyone, this is Zach Hall, founder and lead space reporter for SpaceExplorer.com. I am thrilled to announce our new Space Time podcast. What Space Time will be is a weekly podcast that has three goals. One is sharing in-depth interviews with special guests. That's what happens today. Uh, next, we will go in-depth on underexplored topics with special episodes, diving deep into things like the Mars 2020 rover, Perseverance, and all sorts of things like the history of SpaceX and you know what NASA is doing these days. And we will also assemble a panel of diverse voices to unpack the achievements and opportunities of space exploration. So we'll hear from all sorts of people who are just me, so you have that to look forward to. And I'm very happy to announce that my very first guest for Space Explored Space Time podcast is Will Pomerantz. He's the vice president of special projects at Virgin Orbit, an incredible company that is working on launching rockets from the wing of a 747 airplane. It's incredible. And Will has started a movement to rename NASA's Space Center in my home state of Mississippi. It's about 30 minutes from where I live. Uh, I've ran half marathons there three years in a row, and I've never thought about the name Stennis before until recently. And it turns out it's named after Senator John Cornelius Stennis, who is celebrated in Mississippi, um, but he's also a senator who supported um, lots and lots of segregation policy and was not a supporter of civil rights policy at a time when it mattered the most. And so Will is on a mission to change the name of Space Center, or at least share what it means to people so the people who make that decision can decide and make a sound decision. And so, without further ado, here is my interview with Will Pomerantz of Virgin Orbit and our discussion on Cine Space Center. Thanks for watching. I, I think I see your dog in the mirror. That's, that's, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah a little good, bit. That's, that's a good that's, cameo. <laughs> Mine's usually the, in here. Yeah. Just the pause. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's funny. All right, well, uh, if you can, describe who you are and, and what you do uh, at, at Virgin Orbit and sort of how Virgin Orbit fits into um, the aerospace industry, or for people who don't know. Sure. Uh, well, yeah. My, so my name is Will Pomerantz. I'm a lifelong space enthusiast and uh, a two-decade-long space professional. Um, I got my start in the aerospace industry as a scientist originally. I was a planetary scientist early in my career uh, before taking a, a, a turn pretty early on and going more on the, uh, on the entrepreneurial side um, and the commercial side of the space industry, really with a focus on trying to make space more accessible. Um, I found just my personal calling uh, was not necessarily towards the biggest, most time-consuming, most expensive, and most ambitious missions, which I think are wonderful, and I'm very glad our nation and our species does them. Um, but the ones that I've always found most interesting are the, the small bets, uh, because you can place a lot of them. Sure. And you can take big risks with them and different kinds of groups and different kinds of people and different types of disciplines can all place small bets when very few of them can place big bets. Uh, so that's really how I've crafted my career. Um, I, I've, I've had a chance to go through academia, through consulting, uh, through the nonprofit world, uh, and now uh, primarily in the, in the for-profit world. Uh, so my day job is uh, I'm the vice president of special projects at Virgin Orbit. We are a responsive launch company. 
Uh, so we focus on launching smaller satellites, things about the size of a household refrigerator or smaller, uh, primarily into low Earth orbit. Um, we're, uh, we're not the biggest rocket. We are intentionally not the biggest rocket because by going smaller, we can make it a lot more affordable. Uh, and one of the most unique things about uh, our vehicle is uh, really our entire launch system is that we're about as flexible and responsive as you can imagine being. Uh, so part of our technical secret sauce, if you will, is that we launch our rocket rather than launching it from a, a launch pad on the ground at a wonderful facility like Cape Canaveral. We launch it from underneath the wing of a Boeing 747 and our entire launch infrastructure can all get up and move to go somewhere else. Uh, and so that really allows us to bring the launch site to the spacecraft uh, or to bring the launch site to the spot on planet Earth that physics has dictated is the most efficient for that specific mission which is, again, all about really increasing the access to space. I think we need more rockets, more types of rockets, more launches every year. Uh, and we do need more of the same, but also we need more of different. Uh, sure. And so we're trying to bring something a, a little bit different. Uh, so that's my day job on the side. I'm also involved in uh, trying to get more people involved in the industry through a couple um, uh, side hustles, if you will, sure. a couple passion projects. I'm chair of the board of advisors for SEDS, the Students for the Exploration and Development of Space, which is the world's largest student-run space organization. And then I'm also a co-founder of a group called the Brooke Owens Fellowship, uh, which is a nonprofit that's really dedicating to uh, to finding uh, women and other underrepresented uh, genders, uh, people of other underrepresented genders, and to giving them a foothold uh, and a, a quick rise up the ladder, uh, the career ladder towards very successful careers in aerospace. That's excellent. Um, and, and during, I think this is back in March, but sort of during this global pandemic that we're all experiencing this year, um, Virgin Orbit designed a mass producible ventilator. So talk about that for a moment, if you will. Yeah. So as we, um, as, as the COVID-19 pandemic started to unfold around us, and as we, like everyone else all around the world, started to realize both how serious it was going to be and how much potential there was that this human tragedy was going to be compounded by the lack of supplies and the lack of equipment, um, you know, we, we viewed that with as much horror as anyone else. Um, and coming from a company that, you know, employs a lot of smart and creative people that has a state-of-the-art factory that has a lot of um, primarily engineers, um, but in general, folks who are problem solvers, who, who, who just, that's what drives them. That's what they do at work. And then they go home and they do more of that. Uh, we just all found ourselves trying to think how we could help. Um, so we started looking both as individuals and as a company at what can we do? You know, can we make face shields or N95 masks or all these other things? We ended up connecting through the um, the state government here in California um, to a, uh, a a group um, called the Bridge Ventilator Consortium or the Bridge Ventilator Coalition. Um, this is a group primarily of uh, MDs and clinicians and some MD PhDs, mainly at universities throughout the U.S., but also some not at universities and some not in the U.S., um, that had identified this need for, um, that they were looking at this real shortage of ventilators to treat COVID-19 patients. And they were saying, hey, not only do we not have enough ventilators, um, the ventilators we do have are way overpowered for what the vast majority of, uh, of COVID-19 patients need. Right. And they're also too expensive and they're too slow to make, particularly when the global supply chain has been impacted as much as it has. So they really were saying, hey, what the world needs is a, is a simpler, less powerful ventilator that doesn't have all the bells and whistles, that is not good enough for every patient. 
but they would happily sacrifice being able to serve absolutely every patient with absolutely every ventilator if the upside of that was you could get a lot more ventilators a lot more quickly, a lot more affordably, and even in the current conditions of a supply chain that had been impacted by the pandemic, and, and, and you know, particularly in China, but, but as it spread around the world. Right. Uh, so we really set ourselves to designing something like that. Um, thankfully, you know, the, the kind of skills that are required to build rockets are not as dissimilar as you might think from building ventilators. Um, we're used to dealing with a lot of the same basic principles. We're used to working in highly regulated industries with high consequences of failure. Um, we have a lot of the same, you know, machine shop tooling and a lot of the same software packages and a lot of the same uh, validation processes that are used in the medical device industry. So we were able to turn our team towards that. Um, it was something, you know, that felt nice to work on. Um, and it's something where, where we felt we were... Um, filling a gap that could not be addressed by the existing medical device supplier community. Uh, and within the span of about a month, we were able to go from having the idea uh, through couple, a couple generations of prototype into um, you know, meaningful numbers of production. And, uh, and we also went out and got um, what's called an emergency use authorization. So a limited approval from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, which allowed us to start delivering these things out into hospitals. Um, as I talk to you now, we've uh, we've built a lot of these things. Uh, primarily, they've gone into stockpile rather than into use. Thank sure. goodness, uh, we're, right. we're we're really happy as proud <laughs> as we are of these devices. I much I would much prefer they never get used. Sure, uh, but we have built a, bu- a bunch of them for use in the United States, and then we've also partnered with a bunch of humanitarians and philanthropists, and uh, uh, one and potentially more to come. Uh, fantastic manufacturers abroad. So I'm really excited. We're working on a project uh, with a company called Invicta. Uh, in South Africa, cool. that's funded by uh, a philanthropist named Strive Masiiwa and another one named Jeff Skoll, uh, where they're building, they've already built a thousand and they're on the path to building 10,000 ventilators that will be distributed uh, initially free of charge and then heavily subsidized throughout Africa, where the need for these things is 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 just terrifying right. um, and where the availability of them was essentially zero. Uh, so trying to combat the, that that problem. It's been, uh, been a really, really uh, fun project to work on and, and a fulfilling, more importantly, project to work on. Absolutely. Yeah. My, my wife is a nurse and, uh, here in South Mississippi. And so, um, it's, it's, it's one way to have insight into kind of what's happening in the medical space is the, are the, the stories that she tells. And I mean, this focus was back in, you know, March and here we are, uh, mid July and, you know, for Mississippi, um, and also for California is kind of a, you know, take, take a step back in terms of, 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 uh, you know, loosening restrictions and, um, we're not out of the woods yet. And so, um, it, it's great to see that effort uh, started then, and um, no doubt it's made an impact. So. Well, thank you. Yeah, and thanks to your wife. I mean, talk about yeah. essential workers. Um, people like that are are uh, are on the front line saving lives. So grateful uh, to them and to the, the families that support them to be able to do that. Absolutely. Um, and something else. This is kind of where what, what I want to talk about that, that made you so relatable to me is um, we're going to talk about Center Space Center in Hancock County, Mississippi. And sort of the origin of the name and sort of the challenge of the name in, in the present day. And um, before that, there's, I think all of this kind of stems from um, most recently the murder of George, George Floyd, um, where, you know, a 46 year old black man was um, essentially choked to death, uh, you know, at the hands of police officers um, for, an, uh, you know, an, an arrest that was trivial um, and, and something that, that really resonated with me was um, the statement from Virgin Orbit, which was basically um, too many people lack the comfort today 
to and safe to today to work on tomorrow's challenges. And so for me, what that did was both in, in terms of, you know, looking at the space industry and then, you know, where I focus on Apple technology for my main job with 9 to 5 Mac, it's like, you know, how can you even care about this stuff when people can't safely, you know, exist in the world? Um, you certainly cannot thrive in the world when you're worried about your life and your safety. Um, so that, that statement really resonated with me and, and kind of rang true, not just of, you know, for version orbit, but, but for, you know, across industries. Yeah, I've per- always personally felt that in an ideal world, if you took uh, all the human beings who, uh, who wanted to focus themselves on making the world a better place, whether that's through their day job or through philanthropy, volunteering, whatever else it is, I've always felt that sort of like the ideal mix would be you have about half of them working on solving tomorrow or today's problems, mm-hmm. and you have uh, about half of them working on increasing tomorrow's opportunities sure. for everyone. Um, and uh, I think with the current moment in time between the pandemic and all of its economic impacts and the era of extraordinary political division and the Black Lives Matter movement and all the protests that have surrounded that and all the conversations that surround it, it's sort of made clear that um, even though, you know, we're at the, the wealthiest time in human history and in one of the greatest nations Right now, not everybody has the freedom to choose between whether they're thinking about today's problems or tomorrow's opportunities. Right. And so maybe those of us who are focused, have chosen personally to focus on, on tomorrow's opportunities need to not put that aside, uh, but we need to be paying attention to the other stuff as well. Mm-hmm. And we need to be making sure that there are equitable opportunities for people to decide that they want to address their talents and their time and their dollars or, or, or whatever else it is um, and, and give them that choice. Because I, I do think that's what that's what creates the rising tide that will float everybody's boat, regardless right. of what state you live in or what color your skin is or or, or, or anything else. And, and we just don't have that right now, unfortunately. Um, and we shouldn't delude ourselves into thinking that we do or that it's okay that we don't. And we should all sort of figure out ways that we could personally contribute. Yeah, that definitely ring true. I mean, uh, I, I went out to the, the demo two launch and uh, on May 30th and just like all the attention on that locally, um, it felt really uncomfortable with, 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 with what was happening in the rest of the country. You know, this was in the days after uh, George Floyd's murder. So, um, you know, having a perspective about that, that is like, you know, you have to fix today's problems to be able to, to address more advanced things. And if we can't do that, then there's no opportunity for tomorrow, you know, to work on the things of tomorrow. Um, and, and it kind of put the, it kind of put in, in, in perspective, why we have to focus on the basic things. If you leave them um, for another day, then they're going to come back to the need to need to be addressed at another time. So it's best to, to handle them now. Yeah, there were definitely with that, um, uh, you know, with commercial crew program and that, yeah. that wonderful and historic launch, there were eerie parallels definitely yes. with, yes. Uh, <laughs> with the Apollo era and, you know, a triumph of human ingenuity coming not that long after the assassination of, Dr. Martin Luther King or, or, or Bobby Kennedy or, or whomever else. Um, I think so many of us in the industry have, have devoted ourselves to recreating the, the positivity of that Apollo moment. Right. Um, and what a, uh, yeah, what a, what an emotional event and a confluence of, of crazy parts of our world to, to have you know, that negative aspect come along with it as well. That's right. All right. Hey everyone. I want to give a quick thanks to our premier space time sponsor, Fantastical Premium by FlexiBits. Go to flexibits.com slash spacetime for a special offer code. 
So I've been using Fantastical since 2013. It has always been better than the built-in calendar app. And if you're like me and your productivity is directly tied to how well you plan out your calendar, then you know it's essential to have a, a, a great calendar experience. And Fantastical Premium builds on top of that experience. So some of the core features are natural language input for events. So you can say like meet with Will at 2 p.m. on Thursday over Skype. And Fantastical can parse that language out from the sentence that you either dictated or wrote out and make the calendar event for you. There's no checking boxes and all this stuff unless you want to, but you can do it very easily with natural language input. The new 3.1 update is designed specifically for this work from home moment that we're all in where you spend more time in virtual meetings than in-person meetings. And so what does that mean for Fantastic Call Premium? It means that conference call link detection automatically knows if your appointment has a Zoom, WebEx, Microsoft Teams, Google Meet, Google Hangouts, GoToMeeting, RingCentral Meeting, BlueJeans, or Skype for Business link. So it will automatically detect that and put that as an action button in your calendar appointment. So when it comes time for your all-important meeting, you don't have to dig through your email and like look for where was that link? What is the dial-in number? It's right there in your calendar without you having to do the extra work to get it there. It's really great. And for space fans, there's even two calendars that you can subscribe to within Fantastical Premium. One is Moon Phases, so it's always there in your calendar. It can be part of a calendar set or it can always be visible. You can also subscribe to the New York Times Astronomy Calendar, so you'll know when important astronomical events take place and uh, hopefully you can witness them with your own eyes and not miss out and find out about them after the fact. So those are really cool things. And finally, there's a special offer code for space-time listeners and viewers. So the special offer code for space-time listeners and viewers is 20% off a monthly or annual plan for a limited time. And that gets the price down to about $3 a month if you pay annually, which is how I recommend paying. So you've got continued service throughout the year. And you know, it's it's really wonderful to, to rely on that. Uh, so what do you do? You either get 20% off a single month, so there's no commitment, or better yet, 20% off an entire year, which is by far the best deal. It's almost 50% off the senior monthly price. And this offer will only be available until August 1st. So you should go and start your 14-day free trial right now and then take advantage of this offer code when your trial is over so you can keep using Fantastic Out Premium. So just go to flexibits.com slash space time. That's F-L-E-X-I-B-I-T-S dot com slash space time. And from there, you can sign up for a 14-day free trial, sign up to try it out, and then use the special link on flexibits.com slash space time to get an additional 20% off when you're ready to subscribe. And you will love it. You will need it. You don't even know you need it yet, but that's how I was. And I can't imagine life without Fantastical now. The new premium service is so good, and it continues, uh, supporting it continues to give you new features throughout the year, as we've already seen with the new work from home features. So check out the makers of Fantastical and Cardhop at flexibits.com slash spacetime. And doing that supports spacetime. So if you enjoy the podcast, please, please check it out. Check out the annual plan, save 20%, and that will support the podcast. So my special thanks to Flexibits and Fantastical Premium for being the inaugural sponsor for spacetime. 
All right, let's talk about Santa Space Center. So I guess my first question to you is, is um, you, you live in LA, right? So, so how does someone in California find themselves um, sort of, you know, how do you just discover the history of the name Cinus? Um, how much have you thought about Cinus Space Center in the past? You know, where, where do you find yourself in even discovering, you know, Cinus Space Center and its history, the name behind it? Yeah, so I'm... Um uh, you know, I've, I've always known of Space Cine Space Center, and I've, I've known its reputation. I know the kind of work it, it does. The, uh, the aerospace community is really quite small, and so we all tend to know, you know, you know what's going on. And there, there's not that many world-class facilities for rocket engine testing um, out there, and there's not that many NASA centers. You know, depending on you ask, there's either nine or ten of them. Um, mm-hmm. And so you sort of hear the name a lot. So I, I've been hearing the name. I've been saying the name. I've been typing out the name Stennis Space Center forever and had never really given it any thought um, uh, until recently, you know, in, in the wake, again, of the, the sort of changing national conversation mm-hmm. that has been driven in part by the murder of George Floyd, but other parts were there, you know, had been around <laughs> asking for attention well, well before that. And, then, and right. then there's been many other things, tragedies and, and wonderful happenings alike that have, have driven people to think about this stuff. Uh, I was sort of just in my personal time um, reading a lot of uh, fantastic reporting uh, and opinion pieces about some of the conversations that's happening in the military community about the names of aircraft carriers and the names of army bases and everything else. Uh, and people talking about, Hey, is it appropriate that we name, you know, some of the facilities where we send all the young recruits into our armed services to go and train that we named after them after losing Confederate generals um, right. or, or, or things like that. And it just sort of got me thinking about, Oh, I wonder if there's, you know, I wonder if there's any of that happening right under my own nose that, right. that I haven't realized. Um, and, you know, there's, there's one, always been one big elephant in the room in aerospace in Werner von Braun. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you want to talk about a checkered and complex history. He's certainly got one, right. but at least everyone knows it. And for better or worse, they've sort of decided they're okay with it. And right. I, I may have some issues with it, but it's not an education issue. It's a, it's a decision issue. Right. Um, I started going and saying, Hey, are there things that we just haven't realized uh, and so you go down the list of places and, and NASA centers are the obvious place to start. And you, you go down the list and most of those are names that are known to every American. So Kennedy space center. Okay. Yeah. I know who that is. And also I know what his contribution was not only to the country, not only to the state of Florida, but to the, to the pursuit of aviation, aerospace, space exploration specifically Johnson. Got it. You know, pretty easy. Neil Armstrong. Okay. John Glenn. Got it. Pretty, pretty obvious. And then you get a little further down the list and you find names that are very well known to us space nerds and space professionals, even if they don't have the, the public context. So whether that's, you know, Langley um, or Ames or, or, or whatever else. Um, and there were a few on those like Ames where I, I kind of had to go and say, Who are, I, th- I know I've heard that name and let me go remind. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, that's OK. Mm-hmm. He, that, he was Smithsonian. He, he was NACA. And OK, I think yeah, I had mapped these together. And, and then looking at them, you know, part of you starts to notice white man, white man, white man, white man. Yeah. And, but OK, maybe that's, you know, that's that is the history of the industry. And, and regrettable as it may be, that's sort of where it came from. It kind of makes sense. And, and then came to Stennis. Uh, and again, to be perfectly honest, I did not know if Stennis was named after a person or a place or a right. patent or whatever else. Sure. Uh, so literally just type Stennis. Uh, you know, into uh, into a, a search engine, and uh, pretty much whatever search engine you use, whatever link you click on, you start to find things that are eye-opening pretty quickly. Uh, right. So I think I went first to the Wikipedia page, and then very quickly to a lot of better places than that. 
um, and you find, you know, I found this person um, who clearly was a major figure in American politics, not just Mississippi politics, which right. I'm embarrassed I didn't know more about, sure. who had um, uh, an incredible, in the, the literal sense, like an unbelievable legacy, who served uh, his state and his country very for a very, very long time, who played a leading role on lots and lots and lots of different issues. Uh, but the things that started to jump out to me was, one, yeah, anytime you see the phrase, you know, champion of the white segregationist caucus, uh, you know, that tends to stand out. Sure. Uh, and so there was a whole troubling, complex, but troubling history around that. And then I also noticed that in none of these places did it talk about a real contribution to aerospace right. um, or to even to NASA outside of the scope of this one particular facility. Right. And, you know, comparing that even before you get to the complex issue of race, when you compare someone who had a major impact on one specific NASA center with all the other folks, you realize, oh, we're, we're grading on a different curve here. We're using a different measuring stick. Everyone else, that has been insufficient. Just being a staunch defender of the budget of KSC was not enough for us to change it to the Bill Nelson Space Center. Right. Or, you know, Barbara Mikulski in, in, in Maryland or Kay Bailey Hutchinson or whatever else, like Senator Shelby. There have been, there have been senators who have been the staunchest champions for long times, just like Senator Stennis. And I've never even heard anyone suggest that we change a name for them. Right. Uh, it seems, uh, well, very impressive by any normal scale and certainly much more impressive than my own modest contributions to aerospace. It seemed well short of the, of the metrics that we use for everyone else. Uh, and I started just asking around among my friends in the industry, you know, including my friends who are more on the propulsion side, so who had sure. done more work directly at Stennis or with Stennis experts saying, hey, do you know why Stennis is named Stennis? Right. And uh, literally, I didn't talk to a single person who, who understood the name uh, and then I would either tell them, hey, you know, just go Google it and tell me what you think. Or I would start to tell them what I had learned. And all their eyes would just bug out and they would say, oh, my God, I can't believe that. Like, wow, that's huge. What, why aren't we talking about this? And, and we should, whether they thought we should change the name or not, they all said we should at least have a conversation about this. Like, we, if you think names are important for preserving history, this name has not preserved history. So let's go either preserve that history if we think that's the history worth preserving or let's change it to something else and talk about why we changed it and preserve history in, in that very different way. That's right. um, so that's what sort of motivated me to, you know, take to my keyboard and, uh, <laughs> and send out a, a lengthy stream of messages. Uh, as you can tell just from this interview, brevity is not my strongest suit. Um, but I thought, you know, this is an important issue. It's an interesting issue. It's a complex issue. You know, one tweet isn't going to cut it. Um, I'd like to present the, the fullness, as I understand it, of of why this name is what it is and how it became that name and mm -hmm. how you might change it. And if you wanted to change it, what you might change it to. Uh, and that just really, it seemed to catch an awful lot of people's attention uh, internationally, but particularly here in the U S um, mm -hmm. in Mississippi, but, uh, but, but throughout, uh, throughout NASA's workforce, throughout aerospace fans, throughout aerospace professionals, uh, a lot of people, yeah, uh, I think opened up their eyes and started going out and, and learning a lot more and coming up with their own opinions about it. Yeah, there's, there's a few things for me on the name um, because I, I've I've lived here since 2007, and the space center has been there my whole life, and it's been named since my whole life. But but you know, in learning all of this, you realize that it's only been since 1988 that President Reagan signed an executive order to rename uh, the facility Center Space Center um, while he was still alive, which is which is also not extremely common. Um, there was also a, a Navy supercarrier that was named after him that I believe his wife nominated him for. Um, so there's obviously family pride in that. Um, but the space center is, 
you know, it's, it's not just, even if it's Mississippi, the space center is not just to be enjoyed and appreciated by Mississippi. Um, it's heavily, you know, staffed by people that live in Louisiana because it's on the state line with Louisiana. And there's so much history, um, involved in, in, in NASA that you to, to look at the timeline goes through Stennis, um, even way before it was called Stennis. Um, and I've in the last three years, I've ran a half marathon out there at Cine Space Center. Um, and, you know, you get the you get the medal when you complete your run. And they're very cool. They have like space shuttles on them and, you know, space imagery. And they say Cine Space Center. And I, in, in all of those experiences, I've never thought, what is the Cine's part of this? And um, for me, it was seeing the the movement to change the state flag in Mississippi, which has the um, Confederate um you know, flag as part of the state flag. Uh, and just before that uh, actually happened in the state, um, there was, there's been a years long, I mean, even decades long campaign to change the flag. Um, but in recent years, in the last say five years, there was an alternative flag that was very popular called the Stennis flag. And I was looking into that and, you know, talking to some people that are local and I was like, well, at least it's not, you know, oh, it's in this flag. Um, at least it isn't, you know, related to Senator Sinus, who I'd found out through looking at the flag. Oh, man, that's a very poor voting record for civil rights, not even inspecting the NASA relationship, you know. Um, and then it ultimately, the the granddaughter of the Senator Sinus is the one who had designed the flag. And she decided, you know, on her own accord that her name was too related to the hurt associated with the existing flag that she would back off of the project of the flag she designed and call it the hospitality flag. And that very well could be our next state flag, but that kind of sets the precedent for, you know, what is a name, you know, what is the value in a name and, and can there be such pain associated with it? Part of what the issue with Sinus is, is, is like both of us, you know, you can have experiences there and, and until you research it, you don't know what is the name about. And the fact that it's sort of not widely known kind of speaks to the fact that it's not, you know, uh, the name doesn't rise to the occasion of naming a space facility after it. Um, and once you do look into the history, then it's like, how, how did this happen? Um, and so you've, you've got historical names. I think Mississippi testing facility is one. Um, the, the reason that I can gather from leadership in the state today as to why Sennis has been so revered is, is that he, he was vocal in Congress. He was vocal in the Senate. And so it gave Mississippi a voice it didn't have before. Um, but of course, you know, look, look at his voting record and it's, it's atrocious, you know, on, on civil rights. And um, it isn't until the very end of his four decades long career in the Senate where he even opens up to supporting um, any, any sort of civil rights issues or black Democrats in his own party in the state. Uh, and there's even a swing back and forth where if it's an election year, he'll support someone in his party reluctantly because it helps him get reelected. And then that congressperson two years later will be up for reelection. And as a senator, he has a longer term and he doesn't support them, even though they're in his own party and he did two years prior. Um, so there's definitely a, you know, you can look at the record and say, even the parts where he maybe evolved or developed, you know, in the late 80s, you can see it was strategically and not, you know, a change of heart. And he describes, you know, any support for civil rights issues as, you know, it was, they, black people needed to wait their turn. And the effort in the 60s, you know, was way too fast. And, and he would call it extremist. Um, and so that's, 
you know, to, to have those positions in the late eighties, is like, you know, you, you, you died with those positions. It wasn't, um, you know, just, just the way things were back then. I mean, the guy was born in 1901. So that that's difficult to measure is like, you know, how, how would you operate given that climate? But like my grandma was born in the thirties and one of her heroes is Rosa Parks. And she grew up in Montgomery and like just in her heart as a person, she could always see through segregation as wrong, you know? Um, so I'm not sure that it's entirely culturally, you know, uh, that, that that's, that's the, the reason um, there's something in your heart, whether it's, the, you know, you want to retain power or, or whatever. Um, but that's the thing. And, and so what leadership will say in the state is, you know, a 20 years into his career in the Senate, he happened to be the senator, you know, one of two senators representing Mississippi. And so there had to be some relationship there where um, Johnson was in, was sort of assigned from Kennedy to, you know, build out the facilities and he chooses Texas naturally, you know, um, and then it kind of goes along the Gulf Coast all the way to Florida. And so Johnson allies, you know, were sort of rewarded for that. Um, but something that's kind of hilarious to me is when the site was picked, you know, with Senate involved as the senator, as one of two senators from the state, um, and then the two senators from, from Louisiana were just as involved, um, they had to kind of close operations for a little while because there was a really bad mosquito problem and like fly infestation and like all the, the problems that you have with having a space center on the Gulf Coast of Mississippi. And it reduced work production by 25% to the point where they had to like pave roads just so trucks could drive by and like, you know, put out, you know, things to get rid of mosquitoes and stuff. So it wasn't actually that great of a place to start out with, you know, what was ideal about it was that there were five towns there with a, with few enough people that they could pay them to move away. And so Sinis was instrumental in as, as the Senator from the state saying, we will pay you have this budget move in two and a half years and you'll be paid for it and compensated. And so he did that, which is okay. He did that. And then a month after Apollo 11 and, and, you know, accomplishing that goal of, 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 of boots on the moon, you know, Hurricane Camille hit the Gulf Coast. And I think that's like the second strongest hurricane to hit the U.S. in history. And so it destroyed the facility. And this is where he really becomes championed by leadership today is that he told workers there that they wouldn't lose their, their jobs and that the facility would stay open and be rebuilt. That was in August. And in January, NASA announced that it was closing. And he, along with three other senators in the area, were very vocal in, in trying and in, in trying to work with Johnson to have the facility stay open. And it wasn't even Sinus who wrote a letter to Johnson. It was the Senator from Louisiana who was also a segregationist. So it's like, he's not a candidate for having a facility named after him, but Sinus only signed the letter to Johnson. Not, not, he didn't write it um, asking for the facility to stay open. And kind of the middle ground there was the facility became not just NASA, but also NOAA, and, you know, and that's sort of the biggest operation there now is on a daily basis because the NASA work, um, you know, it tends to be leased out to jet engine plane testing. You know, right now there's this historical, um, you know, history being made where they're testing core stage for space launch system and that's happening there. Um, the shuttle days made an impact. The Apollo days made an impact, but there's kind of a big gap there too. And, and it's kind of like space center doesn't quite describe what is, what is the government city in, in the County. 
And it's, it's more like a bunch of organizations. And that was the fix to keep it open was it's not just NASA. It's all these other things that, that can keep it functional. Um, uh, and, and in that, it's like, so he made, he made the contribution and, and, you know, serving a Senator while it was chosen. I'm not so sure he, he had political power to keep it, you know, to make it there. Um, and then he fought to keep it open after a hurricane. And that's, that's mostly it. I mean, there's some photo ops there, but, uh, I wouldn't say he's, he's the, the space, you know, enthusiast and champion, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and, and my takeaway is like that that's not nothing. And that right, that sure. should be remembered and that should be taught and that should be celebrated locally. And you know, I, I think all the people in Mississippi and as you say, right across the border in, in Louisiana should be mm-hmm. super proud that work like this is happening there. Right. And they should be uh, they should be honored to call the people who work there neighbors and the folks who, who work there should be proud of the, you know, of the, the badge that they wear on their shoulder and, and of the work that they get to do. Um, so I would never in a million years want to suggest that we should forget that legacy or should we stop celebrating it. It's just, as you say, it seems to me to be shortchanging that facility mm-hmm. to have it named after someone who had an impact, but such a parochial impact. Right. And relatively uh, modest in scope, only by the comparison to the giants of industry mm-hmm. for whom these other centers are named. Right. Um, and if if there had only been you know nine people who had made a big contribution, and there just happened to be a big gap between nine and ten, that that would be one thing. But I think that's clearly not the case. I there's think there's no shortage of twenty, names. fifty, a hundred, a thousand other people. You know, if if you were to poll every aerospace enthusiast and professional and historian, every NASA employee get people of every political party and every state and, and whatever else and ask them to come up with a list of the, the hundred people who did the most for space. You know, I think, I don't think anyone would claim you're going to see John C. Stennis anywhere near that list. Right. Um, so maybe the name of the center isn't the right way to remember that history. You know, maybe there's, there's plenty of other places in Mississippi that bear his name. I mean, right down the street, one exit away on the interstate is Stennis airport, which is the just yep. regional airport, you know, um, you know, have that conversation about the airport if you need to and have it about lots of other places with his name on it. But I think that the space center being, you know, one of the biggest representations of Mississippi nationally um, and being attached to NASA, it, it's, that's something that you, you really got to think about. And, you know, you, you can argue that it, it, it ought to be changed and NASA leadership seems to be open to the idea um, locally at the space center. They do as well. Um, and kind of, kind of what I'll wrap on, up on is the author, uh, Homer Hick, Hickman of Rocket Boys and October Sky. He gave me this for, for, you know, kind of getting opinions on this. Um, what he says is, although I have no animus against Senator Sinus and his family, I can say with some confidence that NASA employees and alumni would prefer their centers not be named after career politicians. So he doesn't just aim at, at segregationists, yeah. but career politicians in general. And he says, career politicians should be noble enough to disdain that kind of naming in any case in favor of a citizen who has given his or her life for their country. This, go for, this goes for ships or anything else. And so Sinus has a shit named after him. Um, and, and, and what I've learned, it seems to be that Sinus opposed the, the Space Center being named after him when he was alive, um, but that he was talked into it by his Senate colleagues. Um, but, but that kind of idea of no politician, you know, you, you can make an exception for JFK. And in this case, you know, he's not even alive and you know it's 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 a lot of food for thought i think that's that's a great i love that quote and you know and and uh, i think that also goes to show i mean you talk about homer hickam and and 
uh, a fantastic author, been a thought leader in our industry. It also goes to show that this doesn't need to be a partisan issue, right? That's right. I mean, Homer Hicken, appointed by President Trump and Vice President Pence to serve on the National Space Council's user advisory group, I mean, has, has, has had prominent linkages to a variety of conservative politicians. Sure. It's not as though, uh, you know, people are looking to go on a witch hunt and take down people who, uh, who agree, agreed, disagreed with one, right. uh, with one political opinion. There are a lot of people who have served their country or served this industry in a lot of different ways who have very different political beliefs who just say for, for a variety of reasons, including that very eloquently stated one, mm-hmm. it, this is not the best thing for Mississippi. It's not the best thing for the center. It's not the best thing for NASA. Right. It's not the best thing for NASA's history or for NASA's mission of tomorrow. Um, so let's have the conversation. And I'm glad people like yourself are, are putting in the legwork and, and doing in the research and, uh, and talking about it. Yeah, I, I will say that the, the New York Times piece um, by, by Allison Walker, it, it kind of put the fire under my feet to try and find the local story here because I was interested, but I just hadn't started working on it yet. And um, I was so glad to see that. And that prompted Republican leadership in the state to, to oppose any efforts to change the name, which, which made it, you know, a lot of the replies from, from locals were, is this really even an issue? And yes, it's an issue. <laughs> It's yeah. totally an issue we're talking about. So, um, Yeah, I, I'm grateful, Ms. Waller. Um, I still have no idea how she found my phone number, which is a good sign that she's a good reporter. Cool, cool. Um, yeah, yeah. She called me up while I was uh, actually on a quick family vacation uh, a couple weeks ago and, and, and chased down that story. I thought it did a great job reporting it. And as you say, it's, when something appears in the New York Times, um, whether you love that paper or hate that paper or, or whatever, it, it drives a conversation. And, and I'm, right. happy that, I'm happy that it, uh, you know, even though I very strongly disagreed with the statement that was put out by five-sixths of the uh, Mississippi's congressional delegation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm happy they're talking about it. Right. Um, I hope the remaining member, uh, who I suspect may have a fairly different perspective on, on issues, just given uh, Congressman Thompson's personal history mm-hmm. of involvement with SNCC and doing voter registration for uh, processes in Mississippi during the time of Senator Stennis. I suspect he may have a slightly different opinion on this. I hope that that that, that, that office will put out a statement, whatever it is as well. And, and yeah, if people around the dinner table... Uh, in Mississippi are talking about this, even if they don't like me or anything I said, I think that's, that's, that's a win, you know, that's, um, that's right. That's, that's, right. That's, that's, that's people learning about history in a new way and, and driving a conversation about what matters to the country and what matters to the community, what matters to the movement, uh, the, the aerospace movement or the black lives matter movement or whatever movement's important to them. And, and I think that that's, uh, that's what the world needs right now. Thank you so much, Will. It's been a serious honor to do this. Man, I'm, I'm so happy that, that we got to have this conversation uh, and, and just bringing any attention to this, you know, regardless of what side you, you feel about it. Um, the ability to just talk about it out in the open just means a lot to me. Well, thank you. I, I'm, I'm thrilled to have the opportunity. And I actually learned a fair amount from, uh, from your research and I've gotten us some, uh, some new tales to chase. So sure. uh, thank you for that. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. Perfect. Sure thing. Absolutely. All right. Keep in touch. Cool. Thank you much. Cheers. Bye. Bye. All right. That is my very first episode of Space Time for SpaceExplored.com. A special thanks to Will Pomerantz for joining so we could discuss that very important topic. It means the world to me to have such an amazing guest as Will on the premiere episode of Space Time. Another thanks to Fantastic Out Premium for sponsoring Space Time, his very first episode, you can go to flexibits.com slash space time to learn how to save 20% on Fantastic Alpha Premium, my very favorite calendar for iPhone, iPad, and the Mac. And uh, we will be back in one week with a new episode. We're going to deep dive into what is Mars 2020 for NASA. 
what is NASA's Perseverance rover going to do on Mars. And in the coming weeks, we'll also have a very special guest from United Launch Alliance, the launch provider for the rocket that will send Perseverance into uh, space so it can reach Mars and uh, by February 2021. So look forward to those episodes. I will also be covering the Mars 2020 launch on July 30th for Space Explored. Um, this will be my first launch covering uh, Fresh Space Explored as media, uh, credential media for NASA. So I'm very excited about that. We will be back then. Talk to everyone later. Bye.